We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by NFL Sunday Ticket, DoorDash, and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius, and we're recording after a very disappointing Game 1 loss. Lakers fall to the Houston Rockets, 112-97, to in a game where they looked pretty out of sorts and discombobulated for a good portion of it. Um, very similar energy to the first game of the Portland series, just in terms of uh, being a little bit off. They had not played, I would argue they had not played a really high intensity game since game four, or at least the beginning of game four. Um, and then we had the the brief hiatus uh, due, due to the boycott. Then game five, in which Damian Lillard had already left the bubble, and it was kind of a, you know, it was uh, just elementary at that point that that, that series was going to end. And Lakers have 
several times this season come out looking very slow and uh, just not themselves to start a series, uh, or, or at least after a decent amount of time off. I am considerably more worried, though, about this loss than I was after that Portland game one, right? Like, that was a game in which they shot extraordinarily poorly, and it from watching the game, it was a, oh, if things go like this, if they get these shots, and if this goes the same way, we're going to win this just fine. Yeah. That's how I left game one. Also, too, remember that game, the Lakers were really good defensively, and one of the big talking points after the game was, well, Portland didn't shoot well either. They're going to mm-hmm. shoot better, right? Sure. But that was no. that was discounting the level of defense that the Lakers played versus the tactics that Portland used in order to allow the types of shots that the Lakers missed, right? Like, mm-hmm. so right. both offenses functioned within the construct of what the defense was providing, and mm-hmm. the Lakers missed the shots that were made available to them. Game right. one versus the Rockets may have carried, like, a similar energy, like you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. And LeBron did sort of a long interview the other day with Ali Clifton that aired on Spectrum. It was like a 10-minute interview. And he had talked about, and Ali brought this up to him, that LeBron had sort of talked about game one being like a feeling-out game, right? And and trying to get your bearings and your handle on Mm -hmm. what the opponent does, what they're trying to do to you. And he said sort of like, win, lose, or draw, right? Like the thing that – like the thing is, is that you come out of that game learning something Mm -hmm. and and knowing more than what you knew before about – what 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 your opponent is really trying to do to you in a playoff environment and this game to me sure you could say that about this game but Houston did exactly what you would expect them that's, to do so that's, coming into this yes. game and that is, um, there are two components to this. We're going to talk Rondo in the second segment. I also want to get to that point that you made uh, with what LeBron said of you learn in game one and then you adjust and you kind of figure them out, right? Um, Houston is a team where they do what they do, you know, and it, that's not just this season. That's historically, whether it's this team, but also Mike D'Antoni is a coach, right? He is like, he has his beliefs and it's got him very far in, in doing what he does. So what I was struck by was uh, actually two things. There's something I want to get to before we get to the tactics. And this is something that I learned when, when I was coaching is that the word, if I could describe this game in one word, I would say inattentive. Yeah. Our attention to detail was poor. Yep. Regardless of what defensive scheme that you run, the players have to execute it. Now, what does that mean? These are all like kind of buzzword type things, right? If you're going to chase Harden off of the line, off of the three-point line, and make him drive, that means you know exactly who's rotating over to help. That person needs to get there in time. How many plays was a guy like a split second late and it's an and one or it's free throws, right? In in terms of just not getting there in time. So part of that is the manifestation, in my opinion, of the haven't played like a real legit game. And Houston 
played two days ago, right? Um, but if and then from that point on, it's still they've got the advantage, and then it becomes rotations. And there were so many times, Darius, where two guys closed out to the same guy and left a corner shooter open, right? And because this was a game where, like, the Rockets, they didn't light it up from three in terms of relative to the shot quality they got. They got good shot quality. And they shot, like, about average on, I think, what they would, if they got those shots every game, this is about what they would shoot. And, but this is a strength of the Lakers, right? Is when we're on point, and we had a couple flickers of it, possession, you know, here or there, but whether you're chasing Harden off or you're playing off of him and encouraging to shoot step backs, whichever like so I, I suppose it's more it's more with chasing him off like everybody has to do their job yeah and it doesn't matter like it's and it's so it's decision based rather than athleticism or talent right if both guys go to one guy if they're more athletic it doesn't matter they're going to him you know they're just doing it quicker and it's leaving somebody open and there were so many um you know like a lack of ball fakes houston is a team that is going to jump passing lanes that is part of what they do as being a quicker team. They All of the things that quicker teams do is, is where they really look to get advantage. And so we had way too many live ball turnovers. They really kicked our butts in the points off turnovers battle. And so so much of it was like self-inflicted on the floor, right? And then then you go to the approach, right, of like philosophically what we were trying to do was that the right thing. And what struck me is the day before the game, we had about a lot of quotes coming out about we want to get them to adjust to us, which is I, I, I'm of that philosophy, too, right, that, that you want to do that. But we our approach to it, to doing that was as though we were playing any other team. Yeah. Right. And Houston is so novel in their approach that they really require team specific stuff. Right. Like we can beat them on the boards, but we have to go about it a little bit different, we, differently. We can get to the basket. We can we can exploit their lack of size, but we can't do it the same way that we would go about doing that against any other team because they're skewed so far in this direction where if we use our regular approach that plays right into their hands. And I thought that we really had more of a general approach to playing this game than a Houston specific one. No. So look, man, and we were talking some about this before we started to record is one of the things that you and I had discussed both in our sort of series preview pod, but, um, but in the pods that preceded that, that were more Portland specific, we had talked about um, one of the strengths of this coaching staff is preparation and that there's sort of this symbiotic relationship between the players and the coaches in this way because the Lakers have a really strong veteran team who really do seem to adapt well in terms of executing the game plan that's in front of them. And that was at a really high level during the Portland series, even in game one. You mm-hmm. saw that work. That's why we that were confident, they, right? Like yeah. it was a frustrating as hell game, but I feel way differently after this loss than I did after that one. Yeah, and the reason why you feel differently, and I'm going to put some words in your mouth here, and you can just nod, <laughs> you, you, and you can just nod, nod along silently. To me. <laughs> but, but, well, it's because I feel this way too, and I think you and I are on the same wave wavelength with this. Is that 
there's a frustration and a questioning that comes from this specific type of performance simply because this team, the Lakers, did not look prepared to play this specific opponent. They they were not sharp, and there was not an attention to detail. And when that attention to detail is lacking, it makes you wonder, based off of some of the tactics, if the detail was there in the first place in order to pay attention to. And mm. that's a tricky place to be in after game one. Like, I wrote out and deleted probably about 75 tweets during this game. But well, one was, of the things I was going was to dying. but one yeah. of the things I was going to say was that that the the things that the Lakers were actually doing and trying to execute, it's like 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 what is this? What like Can you give an example? Can you give an example of something that was frustrating? Well, look, man, like I said this on the pod. I wrote it in my series pre we'll, we'll preview. I think I even mentioned it in the game preview that I wrote for Foreign Blue and Gold. But PJ Tucker had three offensive rebounds crashing Bro. from the corner. That's that's a Houston specific thing. That Tucker does that. That's what they do. Yeah. That is a part of their offensive plan. Right. When the ball is shot from the opposite side of the court and naturally, instinctively, as a defender, when you're guarding the weak side corner, you're going to be watching the ball, especially when when Houston is hunting so many shots from the opposite corner. Right. And from the opposite shoulder. Where mm-hmm. the pass to you, where the pass to your to the player that you're guarding is very likely to not even be attempted, much less be completed, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so your help responsibilities there make it so that you're likely not paying close attention to your man. So I know, he, even though I've never heard Mike D'Antoni talk about this or their players talk talk about this. I know they teach that mm-hmm. specifically with PJ Tucker, but with every single player, I know they teach that. Crash the board from that weak side corner. No one is going to box box you out. Tucker got to three offensive re- well, well, rebounds. He he forced some tip balls, and then on mm-hmm. another one, he he actually fouled Anthony Davis because he corralled in to him and knocked him down. But it was sort of like another live ball where, uh-huh. where it was very close. Yeah, where it was really close, and, and it was only because Anthony Davis is as big and as athletic as as he is that that he secured that ball. That's just one example, right? That's like attention, but again, that's but, attention to detail but, stuff, but right? Like that. I tweeted this during the game, but I'll say it again now: is that. The Lakers performed really poorly in a bunch of small areas. Yes. Right? But when you you can do that in one or two small small areas and those basically get wiped away based off of the bigger picture. But if you do it in too many small areas, those things really do add up and they start to tilt the game away from you. And when you miss as many rotations as well, 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 as the Lakers did, when you turn the ball over, 
as much as the Lakers did. When you do not control your defensive backboards the way that the Lakers did against a much smaller team. Those are those are key details that are super important against this specific team, right? Like they're small, they're quick, they want to get out in the open court, they want to gum you up when you're in the half court. And so there are all of these little things that Houston does to sort of of pull the tug of war rope. Right? They pull that knot a little bit closer towards them when each one of these things goes in their direction. And when Russ hit that three-pointer to put them up 15, there was like nine minutes left in the game. No, that was game. You and, called it too. And and, it absolutely was. And that was the ball game. They basically yanked the they yanked the knot all the way towards towards their side because you could tell the Lakers at that point had no more answers. They did not know how to deal with this team where Russell Westbrook is going off. James Harden had already killed you earlier. You weren't you weren't stopping him from scoring at the basket. That set up all all of his step back three well well three pointers when they started to double him then the ball was just peppering around the perimeter and D'Antoni's old ball finds energy logic that he used to say all of the time when he was the Lakers coach, right? That stuff Mm -hmm. rang true again, that the ball moves faster than any single defender. And Houston kicked the Lakers' butts today, and that's what it was. And and what was frustrating is that, just like you said, and I I feel like we're going to harp on this a lot, this pod and over the next couple of days as this team preps for game two, that they really did not do anything specific that you would say, hey, they're doing this sp- because, because they're playing, they're playing Houston. the Rockets. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but again, that's why I go back to, yes, I believe that. But if you talked about having all the small things, right? Yeah, all of the, these small things that we did poorly, and that adds up. When it's that pervasive, when it's in that many areas, it's a focus thing, right? It's a matter of not it's it's mental engagement. This is something that if if I I'm going to bang this drum the rest of the playoffs is that basketball is far more of a mental game than people understand and appreciate. Is that it's and it's that mental game isn't just like cerebral playing chess, but it's being locked in and focused in the moment. Basketball is really fast. Really, the whole trick behind LFR is that I just slow stuff down and then I say, hey, this happened here and it goes slow enough and you go like, oh, hey, that did happen there. Right. Because yeah. in real time, it goes too fast. It's it's like three, four times faster than we can really pick up uh you know, it, that's why coaches watch tape. It's why players watch tape, right? Is everything just happens really fast. And so in order to participate in something that, like, imagine if you were playing chess, but you had, there was something called, when I used to play, it's something called speed chess. Yeah, right? of course. Where each, each side would get, like, 60 seconds or 40 seconds on the clock for the whole game. And it's like, move, bam, move, bam. And, like, the speed of it is what forces you to make mistakes, right? And it also... You get benefits from it and whatnot, but basketball is very similar. There's there are so many decisions with multiple options on those individual decision trees that in order to 
choose the right thing and go physically do the right thing, you have to be really focused mentally. And we were not there. When it's as pervasive, those little attention to details, the P.J. Tuckers crashing from the weak side, the late rotations, the two... uh, Two guys closing out to the wing, leaving P.J. Tucker open in the corner, those types of things. The, oh, I got my hand in. Like, you got to show your hands, have your hands out against Harden, right? He's going to draw. He knows the rules, right? He, that, he's going to draw fouls on, on those. And so all of those, like, yes, the game plan was fairly generic. And it was like, a we're going to see if you can beat what we do normally. And they did. They beat the hell out of us tonight. Yeah. Um, but it was not like, it wasn't the good version of what we do. Right. So that's, that kind of makes the game two adjustments difficult. Right. Is that you, how much, like, what components of it were, because if players aren't locked in, no scheme that you run is going to work. It's not a scheme thing. Like, that has to be foundational. And if we were rotating properly, closing out to shooters, everybody doing what they were supposed to do, and Houston beat it, that's the point where you go, oh, hey, the game plan needs to change, yeah. right? But it's it's difficult to get information as a coach off of like when guys aren't locked in and, and like executing what they were supposed to be doing in the first place. So in on a number of levels, right, not just coaching, not just player, but all of it, like it was really, really a poor performance from the Lakers tonight in and Again, inattentive is the word that I that I think of. No, it was definitely the lack of attention to detail concerned me. Yeah. Like and it's it's really the first time that I've felt this in since the playoff star started, right? So this is the sixth game. And this is honestly the first game where I felt like, oh, they're not prepared to play, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it'd be one thing. It'd be one thing if they missed a bunch of shots that were wide open, like, well, well, like they did against Portland. It'd be one thing if they were executing their game plan defensively against Harden well, and he was just hitting a bunch of step-back threes against tight defense, or he was scoring through contact when your big men or guards rotated appropriately. Um, it'd be one thing if um, some of Houston's shooters got hot and mm-hmm. were particularly hot over the course of a full game. Now, mind you, Austin Rivers hit a couple of big threes like right when he came into sure, the game that's, in that's the first happen, half. Right? But, but like, that's... yeah. But that's that's basketball, right? But that's not really what this game was to me. This game was the Lakers not doing very specific things well that you need to do well against the Rockets and not only not doing them well, but seemingly operating at a point like they weren't told these are the things you need to do well. And mm. and look, man, like I said it after the game that or I actually said it during the game that this was not one of Frank Vogel's 
best games. And we're going to get into that, I think, in the second half a fair amount in a larger conversation. But um, but his guys weren't ready this game. And as the game went more and more in Houston's favor, the Lakers looked more and more like, ah, we'll get them next game. Oh yeah, they. That's why that Westbrook three was when you said it was a dagger. I was like, just looking at their body language, absolutely. Yeah, I was just like, oh, I know there's a lot of time left, but honestly, like, I do not see them come coming back. And one of the problems was, look, I was having a conversation with with my wife at one point, and she asked me. She saw how frustrated I was, <laughs> <laughs> and she said. They're only down six. I I honestly think it was like 65 to 59 at that mm-hmm. point. And I said, it's not about them only being down six. Right. I said, it's, it's the things that they're doing. <laughs> and my wife probably couldn't even care that I actually even went into this much detail. But I basically <laughs> said... so. I'm sure but, she's used to it. <laughs> The Cliff Notes version was, it's not that they're down six, it's that all of the little things that they're doing that make it so that they're down six. I said, if they keep playing exactly like this the rest yes. of the game, yes. they're going to lose by six. And oh, it's because they're not... It, well, it's we don't win this series with, with that type of... Well, they're just not like, going to yeah. make up... Like, they're not going to make up the ground. And really, that was the tenor of the entire game, Right is that they talk about sort of arm's length games, right? Where mm-hmm. one team just keeps the other team yeah, Houston at controlled length. that game mm-hmm, the whole game. That was Houston's game the whole mm-hmm. time. And it was six points, it was eight points, it was four points. It felt like it was six or eight or whatever the, like the whole time. So when the third quarter started and then it went from six to eight and then suddenly and then... And then it was sort of like back and forth at eight for a little bit, right? It was going between six and eight, six and eight, and then suddenly it's between eight and ten, and then it's eight and ten, and eight and ten, and eight and ten, and then a couple minutes later, it's ten and twelve, and then Mm -hmm. it went from twelve to fifteen, and I was just like, this game's over. And Mm -hmm. it's because it's it's because for so for such a long portion of this game, it was Four and six and six and eight, six and eight, six and eight. And it was just like, am I at the fucking craps table with all these sixes and eights? Because (laughs) in the end, you just felt like they're not going to get closer than this. We never really went on a run in that game. There were no runs. Oh, you know when they went on on a run? When it was 7-0 to start the basketball game. Right. Yeah, that was our biggest run of the whole game. Like that was the best they looked. The entire game, you you know, LeBron had a couple of LeBron sequences. AD did a couple of AD things when the game was already out of hand, like in the fourth quarter. Um, but you look, man, this might as well have been opening night against the Clippers or one of those other games where you just felt like, like, what is this? Our losses because, have a certain feel to them, don't they? Like, like you can see it fairly early on. Like, like oh, we're a little, we're a little musty tonight, a little stinky. They just didn't have it, and that's not doing Houston enough service, 
right? No, like, Houston's really good, man. Like I've been worried about them all year, and we have to play our best game to beat them. Uh, it just like this was a game that was more about us playing poorly than them playing really well or somebody getting hot. I that's a yes and no for me okay. because I honestly do think that some of the things that Houston did moved the game in their direction in a way that compromised the Lakers. What do you think and, Houston Houston did? Like we've talked a lot about it, the Lakers, right? Lack of attention to detail, but from Houston's perspective, they've been playing important games. Like they're in their rhythm, right? Like they just from two nights ago were in that. What did they do that kind of moved they it in their pl- direction? They played their very specific brand of basketball, man. And and it all started with Harden, right? So when the Lakers could not contain Harden off of the dribble and their rotations were consistently late, that then creates a domino effect for everything else. And so one thing, a thing that I thought Houston did particularly well this game was how well they moved the ball with sort of bang, bang, bang passes, like swing, 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 in order to get the ball to an open shoe shooter. I thought that they were really good and active defensively, especially on on Anthony Davis. Um, and I felt like as those things worked over and over and over again, then it's sort of like... I feel like I don't even watch football anymore, but I feel like every podcast I'm making a football analogy. <laughs> uh-huh. But... but it was like it was like when a defensive line is consistently getting off the ball faster than the offensive line and it seems like the line of scrimmage is moving right mm-hmm. where you're consistently playing on your heels and i felt like as as everything that houston was doing was basically like working or a better way to say it is they were getting to the things that they wanted to get to easier than what the Lakers were getting, than the Lakers were on their end. And as with every bucket that they scored that seemed like, this is what we do, and -hmm. with every bucket that the Lakers were scoring seemed seemed like, oh, they got one this time, right? Right. As that happens more and more over the course of the game, you really do feel like you're going uphill. And that's a hard way to win a basketball game. Now, at some point, you get close enough to the mountain top that you can go over the top, and then you find your own rhythm, and now we're going downhill, and we've got the flow. But yeah. the Lakers were never ever they were never able to get to that plateau where it felt like, ah, we figured this out. The game is now moving back in our direction. And that's why those quotes that you mentioned at the start of the pod about we want to make them adjust to us, like no one really adjusted to anyone this game. Houston just did their thing. The Lakers they did what they did. We, do, we did what we do, and they beat us. Yes, and, the, and it's not like the Lakers tried to adjust to Houston, right? right. They didn't go and small. They didn't play LeBron at center. They didn't, it was the same rotation, they, right? It was 10 guys deep. It was like, they, yeah, it was, like, they didn't do anything. We didn't do anything different than we normally do. You didn't see like a, like, um, a, a Caruso, KCP, Danny Green, 
LeBron Kuzma lineup or instead of Kuzma Anthony Davis right like you didn't see the Lakers really say oh well you know like you're gonna play a bunch of fast guys so are we right like like that never happened so not only did the Lakers did not adjust to them Houston did not adjust to the Lakers and the and Houston style prevailed right right. now the Lakers didn't play well enough for Houston to have to try to maybe adjust or right. or tweak what they were doing. And I think the goal for the Lakers is is if they're going to play like this base lineup and, and stick to sort of what they're doing, they're going to have to find ways to be more effective within that. And I think that speaks to a certain amount of coaching and coaching decisions, which I think is probably what we're going to get into in the second half of the pod. Yeah, let's take a quick break. And then um, I want to talk Rondo and rotations and then close the pod out with game two adjustments, right? Kind of where do we go from here? What LeBron said, we learn from game ones and go from there, kind of what those things could be and what direction the Lakers can go into have not get not have game two look the same way that uh this one did so let's take a quick break we'll come back with all that too sundays are coming back with the nfl with nfl sunday tv you can stream every live out of market nfl game every sunday afternoon on your favorite devices plus red zone and direct tv fantasy zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players no matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. You've counted on restaurants and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash has saved me on many nights where I've been working on an LFR video and I haven't had time to make anything. And it's been so convenient to have the food that I want to eat show up at my door. And now they do that in a way where your food will be left safely right outside of your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. You can choose from your favorite restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's all one word. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order of $15 or more with DoorDash. Alright, so Rajon Rondo, uh, first game in six months, played 25 minutes, had eight points and four assists and four turnovers, was a minus 10 on three of nine shooting. Those are the box score stats. He was slipping all over the place. There have been a few players that have mentioned that the floor, this was happening earlier in the bubble, especially. A lot of guys were slipping. I, I suspect the floor is a little different than most NBA floors are. Um, this is his first game in that, and he was falling all over the place. Um my thoughts on him as a player are fairly well known. Um, I I will say this, though. The asking, and I mentioned this before, but asking anybody to go six months without playing and then play 25 minutes in a second-round playoff series as their first game in six months, that's a tough ask of anybody from a rust and rhythm perspective. I actually liked, I'll, I'll say the one thing that I liked about Rondo's game in this game today, is he pushed the pace. I talked. We talked in the preview a lot about how transition would be a, re- a place where the Lakers could really leverage their effectiveness. This is way too much of a half court game for my taste. Like I, I really want to see us push the pace. We'll talk about that more later. And he did that. 
He had some turnovers in those circumstances, but I thought the premise of it, and we had some success there too, um, but the premise of it is like, yeah, those are we're going to have opportunities if we continue to like really push the ball up court like that. Um, but he he looked rusty, right? He was, he looked like somebody who hadn't played in in quite a. And when that's your point guard, that can be in the in a ball handler. That can be something that really impacts the whole team. I have more thoughts regarding Houston switching and all that. But what did you see from from Rondo, and what was the impact of those twenty five minutes played? So let's start with the positives because it's not going to be very long. But <laughs> but I did like the way he pushed the ball. Right. So I agree with you there. Um, I like that he played with a certain amount of confidence in terms of taking his jumper. Um, Right. So first possession of the game that he's in, they go under the screen and he's like, you're going to go under. I'm going to shoot the 17 footer. The shot didn't go in, but I get it. I get it. Right within the context of who else was on the floor and and everything else, he hit a couple of threes. Um, I thought that he was he was engaged as an off ball defender in terms of being disruptive and trying to like pressure passing lanes. He got a couple of steals. Mm-hmm. All of those things were good. And if I was someone who was a Rondo fan or someone who was basically just like, oh, yeah, like I'm looking for positives, I would probably point to those things and say things weren't that bad. He can help. Look at those positive things. (laughs) I wish they could see your face right now. Yeah. I'm glad that they can't. <laughs> um, the negatives that I saw are basically just like, look, man, he did look rusty. He's a point guard who relies on his feel for the game. Um, by nature, he's sort of a risk taker. Mm-hmm. And I think that the combination of him not having his normal feel while also being someone who takes risks with the ball as as a passer. I thought that that hurt the Lakers. I thought his, his timing turnovers, was off. His timing yeah. was off on those, yeah. I thought his turnovers were harmful. Um defensively, he was getting screened and he's not physical enough to fight over those screens and then after he got nailed one or two good times by PJ Tucker screens and he started to try to cheat those screens and like float over the top and reach around and try to poke, poke the ball away then. So he's now really trailing the action within the context of what the Lakers were trying to do defensively. And then that put them into rotation in ways that I do not think they were expecting to be in rotation. And then when the ball was swing, 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 that's when Houston got a couple of wide open three attempts. And if, if I can jump in, if I can jump in real quick, that's there's a difference between that and the like game planning it for Harden or Westbrook, right? In that, if when you're say funneling or, or chasing Harden off of the three point line, you're doing it by like you're doing it by design, and you're doing it like you're going to do it in this direction. If you're going to beat me, like a lot of times our defensive stances were uh, to prevent middle. 
And so whenever you see a, a defender, a lot of times in the NBA, if, if you look closely, the guy who's defending the ball handler isn't squared up to him necessarily, especially if the ball's on the wing. His feet and his shoulders are kind of facing the sidelines. And you'll see that in like ice coverages on pick and roll, but even in isolation, because that's more of what Port, what uh, what Houston does. Um, and so you'll see those possessions where like we're going to sit on his left shoulder and you're he's going to have to drive to the rim. And if he's going to, it's going to be a wing drive. And so from the wing drive, who's going to drop down off of that? It's probably going to be the guy from the weak side wing. Then the weak side corner is going to be splitting too. Um, and you get into rotation from there. Um, when when it comes off of what you described right there, it becomes a situation you have to react to rather than a situation that you planned for. Yeah. And those lead to a lot more open threes. Those are not the type of, oh, we just rotate. We're big and athletic and fast, and we're just going to get out to the three-point line, right? That's like Those become very difficult. And that's the, that's the thing with... With him is like I see his offense, the the timing and those passes. That's what he does. He should be by and large those will be completed more and more often. Those defensive issues, I just don't see. I don't see where that gets better with time. No, because it's been the same issue the whole season. So it's just like I don't want to bear like like here's the thing, man. It's like I don't want to sit here and turn it into like a like the whole second half of the pod is like this giant Rondo bash fest like just like you said about your opinions my opinions on rondo are well known i i do think that when he's playing at his best he can be useful he can be useful in shorter stints and in more limited minutes i think that he needs to have a very well defined and specific role within the context of where the team is at what they're doing and i think it needs to be opponent specific as well in this game though he played a lot right that's and, another thing to talk about right like his but, game aside right it's the decision to play 25 to, minutes right yeah Out of cl- well also too so this stuff goes hand in hand right and so he played a lot more than what i would anticipate particularly against a, an opponent that I don't necessarily believe he's well-suited to play against in general. Mm-hmm. But by playing as much as he did, that meant that he had a fair amount of overlap with like LeBron James. Mm-hmm. And there was a play, and I don't even remember the layout of the play or, or how the action developed. I just remember at the end of it, the ball might have gotten like deflected and kicked out of bounds or whatever. It may have actually been that play where LeBron drove hard to his left hand and then like the ball got stripped, stripped away and then sort of kicked out of bounds and the refs were wondering whose ball it is and then they kept it the Lakers direction. And this, I think, was in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. And the camera went into LeBron and he looked at his team and he said spacing spacing and, mm-hmm. and he said spacing spacing and and he did exactly what you what you were doing with your hands right there Pete which, <laughs> which which like which was basically sort of waving them out basically asking guys too to many bodies out. in the paint mm-hmm. the problem was is that he was on the three of the players who were on the court with him were Markeith Morris who I don't think teams respect him as a shooter 
is like he's like a floor spacer who doesn't necessarily have gravity right and so mm-hmm. he's like a peri- he's like a offensive perimeter four who can post up some two like that's fine right but Houston's the type of defense that is probably going to say go ahead Marquise Morris like shoot three-pointers we're fine with that because we're going to load up on LeBron and and Anthony Davis the other two play two of the other players that were on the court with him were Dwight Howard and Rajon Rondo so LeBron is basically saying space out space out and that's How? probably that's probably true but those guys could have been sitting with their families who just got to the bubble <laughs> And Houston's defense would have still been in the same sort of positions that they were. And so in a playoff environment, and this was true during the regular season as well, but in a playoff environment against this specific opponent that showed you in the last series that they are way comfortable defending lineups with a non-shooting center and a non-shooting wing, right? Because... One of OKC's primary lineups was involved Steve, Steve, Stephen Adams and Lou Dort, right? So Houston's already used to playing against an alignment with those player archetypes that are on the floor defensively. And that plays into their hands. So having Rondo on the floor in a playoff game against Houston Rockets playing minutes with LeBron James where he's actively taking the ball out of LeBron's hands as a decision maker. Well, and then when the ball does go into LeBron's hands, he's compromising spacing all over the floor. That's a problem. And mm-hmm. and, and so when you were saying like, oh, forget the X's and O's and tactical stuff for, for a second, like you... you you actively can't with yeah, it's, Rondo it's, within the context, personnel, right? Yeah, within the context of a playoff series, especially. Now, look, man, like during a regular season game or whatever, where they're not prepared, not like not not prepared, but where everything is more vanilla, and and you're not scheming specifically for a team, and. Those you can get away with some some of that. It did not happen this game for for Rondo. And look, it was a mistake. It was a mistake to play him this much. I don't think that that's like a hot take in any way, shape, shape, or form. I think even if Rondo could be literally one of the top, I don't know. 100 players in the league, right? Which basically makes you one of the three or four best players on any given roster, right? There's 30 teams. Mm-hmm. You're the you're the 100th best player. That basically means that like, oh, on there's maybe three or like you're the third or fourth best player on on any given team. He could be that good. He's not, but he could be that good. And with the amount of time that he has not played basketball and the position that he plays, he shouldn't have played more than probably two five-minute shifts. Like, he could have played, he could have gotten the J.R. Smith shifts, 
right? Which is basically you get a five-minute shift in the first half, and depending on where things go in the second half, you maybe get another one. He played 25 minutes, and 20 of those were in the part of the game that you were trying to win, right? Like, with three or four minutes left, Vogel waved the white flag. He took everyone out. Rondo stayed in the game. At that point, I don't care if he plays because those are probably just reps for him, and it's fine to keep him in at that point. But in the parts of the game that you were actively trying to win, to play him as much as he played was a mistake. It was a tactical error. It was it was something that should not have happened. And like I don't think Vogel's a bad coach. I don't think he should be fired, unlike some of the handful of dummies that jumped in my Twitter mentions after I said something on Twitter that like it was a mistake, the same thing that I just said right here on on this podcast. I don't think those things. Right. And I will actively push back against the people who say those sorts of things. But in this game, Vogel lost the rope a little bit and and he gave the ball to a player who who should not have played as much as he did. And that's just the fact, like, that's just the facts. Did Rondo lose them this game? No. No. We spoke for a whole half of a podcast about all of the things that the Lakers did did poorly, right? But if he's going to play that much, he needs to actively be helping you. And Do you think think anything changes? I think that if... I think that there was probably a confluence of events, I... I think that if Kuzma's playing better than what he did, and I think that if KCP is playing better than what he did, and I think that if Alex Caruso doesn't get his fourth foul at the time that he did, that that things may have gone a different direction. But I think that the other players needed to play so much better than they did to diminish this thought that Rondo should play as much as he did. So that's I mean, a roundabout. It's been the same all year, right? Like when Rondo's been healthy, he plays. He plays a, little, a decent amount. Like what, what? why would we think that that would change now, regardless of what we want? Yeah, I, I mean, I really don't have an answer for that. There that's, were stretches. The, the, there were stretches this season where Rondo was on a shorter leash mm-hmm. in any in any given game, right? He might get a short shift in, like he might get a shift in the first half where he played okay to not very good. And then if he didn't have a certain amount of energy in his second shift, then he he may have only seen like half of that shift, right? Where he might get a four minute stint and then he would get pulled. Um, I'd be very interested to hear Vogel answer a pointed question about basically I'd like I'd love to give him some truth serum and and ask him what are the markers in Rondo's game that determines whether or not he's going to see extended time. I would I would bet almost with all the money that's in my wallet right now, which isn't a lot because I'm poor. But I would bet that 
the amount of energy that he's playing with is like one of those key markers, if not the key marker. And look, man, Rondo was pushing the ball up the court. He was like trying to fly around defensively. He was getting into passing lanes. He was doing things that had a certain amount of activity. But when I see stuff like that, I'm just reminded of the old John Wooden quote about mistaking activity for achievement because Rondo did not play well and Vogel stuck with him during a time where I just thought, look, man, like, what are you doing? There was an inbounds pass after that sideline out of bounds where he tried to throw a lob where there were still 14 seconds left on the shot clock because it like it had reset. Like, again, Rondo didn't lose the team this game, but I thought it was baffling that he played as much as he did. I'm sorry, like I said, I didn't want the whole second half of the pod to be me like dumping on Rondo, but here I am, I think, on probably minute minute 18 consecutively of, of you, us you talk, play talking more, about Rondo. As many minutes as he did tonight, yeah. Hey, man. Uh, hey, uh, all right, let's, you know, our our feelings are, are known on that. Um, I would say, that, yeah. Go ahead. One last thing, though, is Rondo wasn't alone in playing poorly. And so I, I did just spend I a think bunch it's more, of time. I, I think it's more the decision, right? More the, like, the decision to, like, yo, he's back and he's all the way in the rotation. You know what yeah. I'm saying? This isn't, like, I thought the last shift, like, if if the last shift was a, hey, like, we're probably going to lose this game anyway and knock some more of that rust off. Like, that's that's what I thought that that perhaps his role would be in this series, especially early on, right, was if if it got out of hand in one direction or another, that's time to throw him out there, right? Like, that's time to let him let him knock that rust off. Um, that That's not how it, it went. But, you know, the rest of it, you know, those were regular rotation minutes. He played 25 minutes. I know Caruso was in foul trouble, but he played 16, you know? And yeah, no, there, dur- during the competitive part of the game, right, and the last nine minutes of the game were not competitive, I I no. don't think. But there was a portion where Rondo had played almost 17 minutes and Caruso had played a little bit over 13. Mm-hmm. And Krangis had tweeted, you know, Alex Caruso deserves better than this. And he kind of does. Like, he's an important player. He was important in the first round. At that point, the game, Rondo, I think, was like a minus 12 or minus 14 or minus 11, whatever it was. And Caruso was a minus two, right? And 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 I think at that point in time, Kuzma was like a minus 22, right? Yeah, but Kuzma he, had a rough one tonight, yeah. Um, but look, man, like we've been saying it all year. It's tough to bring it back to this. Like, after a playoff loss, game one, second round. But things were out of whack a little bit this game. And I don't know if it'll be different in game two in terms of the way that the rotation goes. So, 
there do need to be some adjustments in terms of like tactical stuff and better execution. So, so why don't we transition to that? Like you've been wanting to for, I think 10 minutes, I bet. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. Hey man, you know, it's as long as you're the one doing the talking and not me. Right. Uh, <laughs> all right. You said before the series, this was a LeBron series. And to be more specific on that, not to put words in your mouth, but I agreed with you. And, and we're talking on offense here. Um, this is not just a LeBron series. This is a 20-plus shots yeah. per game LeBron series. Uh, he took 15 in this game. And him as a scorer is going to be essential because he can get, like, we saw AD versus P.J. Tucker in this game. We saw AD versus Harden. And Harden, he, AD scored on Harden. But it in terms of getting to the basket, like, those 17-foot post catches, it's going to be, a, like, does he hit the... A contested mid-range jumper. Um, LeBron's the guy who can, as you said, you know, take it from beyond the the three-point line and drive to the basket. Um, he, I suspect, from an adjustment standpoint, if LeBron's out on the floor going spacing, 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 that's going to be something that he's hitting in the what what adjustments should be we be making? Um, because I do think that that there are components of of are spacing that we could be doing better, largely on the personnel side, like you said. Like if it's Rondo, Howard, and Morris out there uh, with KCP or Danny Green or someone, like that's not enough shooting to make defenses get out of the paint, regardless of where they're positioned. Uh, especially a defense like Houston that's built on being able to scramble and close out. So uh, I, I suspect we'll go in that direction. But yeah, if, if we can space out the floor, that actually that gets us into the position where LeBron can drive to the basket. And that's the 20 plus point, uh, 20 plus shot attempts in that same vein too. Like we didn't run nearly enough, man. We didn't push the ball nearly enough. And just like Rondo was the only guy that really was like, Hey, let's go, let's go. And this is, I, I said in the preview, like the more we're standing around in half court sets, that's Houston's game. The more we're running and you know getting into scramble situations, that's going to be more of our game. And I just didn't think we were nearly aggressive enough. So I'd love to see those coast to coast LeBron jaunts, right? And even if, even if the purpose of that is I could drive and kick, right? But just the collapsing their defense before they get set, because if they get set, they're very good because they're fast and they can they they swarm. Um, you know, we didn't. I feel like we didn't do enough, uh, you know, in terms of setting back screens and slipping flares and things like that and getting AD kind of cutting to the rim without a body in front of him. Um, th- those on the offensive end, like we scored 97 points in this game and only 42 in that second half. Um, as as inattentive as our defense was, I thought our, uh, you know, I, I thought on the offensive end, especially in that second half, we looked discombobulated, man. Like yeah. we looked like completely out of sorts and that's going to be the place where i think we need to take more of a different approach entirely in that our the base of what we do like houston is built to stop the like vanilla version of of what we do so it's interesting i looked up some stats on cleaning the glass um which is ben falk's site um and Ben Falk is a great site. Yeah, yeah, he's um, he's just a really smart dude, and he's worked in. Um, I think he worked in Philadelphia's front front office um, for a while. He's really smart with data, and um, 
he built out a really smart site that has a bunch of great stats. And one thing that he does with the stats is he filters out garbage time minutes. And so it sort of gives you a clear representation of what teams are like statistically in the meaningful portions of of basketball games. And so I try to go to Ben's site and not cite them as official stats, but just get a better sense of mm-hmm. of digging down deep into the numbers. And one of the things that it actually showed is that Houston's been good on they've been very good on defense basically ever since they made their trade and they've been um for Capella to get out of there um including in transition and so which is sort of counterintuitive because you know like you think of some of where Houston's deficiencies are and they are sort of less like oh there's Westbrook sort of jogging back on on defense or there's Harden jogging back on defense or they've got guys that are deep in the corners and and they don't change ends very well and there are opportunities to to attack Houston in transition and i do think the lakers need to do more of that and they do need to 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 push the pace if anything, just to get into their offense a little bit earlier and try to get Houston into scramble into scramble possessions earlier because even though they are quick, it's that sort of like flash decision making that you have to make when you're not already set where more breakdowns will happen. So I do agree that that's an adjustment that the Lakers do need to try to to use better tempo to the game. Right, yeah, it's, it's not, not like more pace. Right, right? it's not like, particularly sophisticated from a tactical standpoint, <clears throat> but just the before they are set, like we need to be really looking to be aggressive and in, in collapse their defense before they're set. What I will say though is 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 that the majority of the adjustments that need to happen for the Lakers offensively are going to have to come in the half court. And the Lakers have not been a very good half court offensive team all season. They've been a dominant transition team. And one of the reasons why they've been able to be a dominant transition team is because their defense has been so well, well, so good, right? And so those those two things feed each other. So it makes sense that the Lakers weren't able to get out and transition as much this game, considering how often they were taking the ball out of the bottom of the hoop rather than forcing misses, getting block shots, getting in passing lanes. They just didn't do enough of that, right? But in getting back into the half court, there are a couple of things that they do need to do, I think, to get Houston to have to make more decisions than what they've been making, even though Houston is a switch-heavy team, right? So I do think they need to set a few more cross screens for Anthony Davis. Like when he's – if you're starting possessions on the weak side, then – then – if put AD on the wing and then run that action where guard entry to LeBron at the elbow, AD is on the wing, and then the guard goes and sets that screen and then tries to get AD cir- like circling to the ball, right? Now, even though that's very likely to force switches, right, you can then start to play off of that action in order to tr- start to try to do different stuff so ad might pop sometimes ad may roll sometimes i do think that ad does need to like 
faint ball screens and then dive hard a little bit more like they need to start slipping a little bit more more actions one of the first baskets that ad got this game in fact i think it might have been his his first basket he faked like an up screen mm-hmm. right that flare screen and, for danny green mm-hmm. and, and then the he dove a, exactly the type right of to the mm-hmm. right so you need to do more of that type of stuff um I do want to see more LeBron, Anthony Davis pick and roll, even if they are going to switch that action just to get PJ Tucker off off of AD then and put him onto LeBron, right? Like I think LeBron is a much is much more capable of dealing with Tucker's brand of physicality than Anthony Davis is. And I would like to see if Houston's going to switch, switch them into matchups that you prefer. And I don't think that the Lakers did enough of that this game. They did not run enough screen and roll action. They they and by the end of the game, they they were goaded into playing the style of basketball that Houston wanted them to, which was mm-hmm. a lot of post ups. LeBron posted up a bunch but just to like back down and try like he did he had that one little like flip layup over the top of his head that that he missed they started to just go iso to ad 15 feet and out he posted up harden a couple of times but he also posted up pg tucker he shot that air ball 18 footer there was a lot of stuff like that where it's just like okay we're just going to walk the ball up and throw it into one of these guys and say like this that's is when what those we're passes weren't going turn, to do. getting turned over right like that's when they weren't in three quarter denial and knocking those away right and and there was a certain like that that's part of the inattention and the the like that's yeah part of the lack of focus is is this the plan of attack we should have right is this how we should go about attacking this player versus that player i thought we started to, and I suspect this is the direction the series will go in, clear out one side of the floor for LeBron in the second half. And we were we were a little discombobulated in doing that just as we were with everything else. But I suspect we go toward more spacing. Like that that play where LeBron, you know, is throwing his hands out, spacing, spacing. I think that that's going to be... Uh, offensively, right? That's going to be our best chance to get on track because he's the one guy where they don't have an answer for him one-on-one. They can guard AD one-on-one and with like results that they'll live with. But this has to be a LeBron series where he's really looking to be a scorer because like offensive basketball at its very heart and soul is simple in that once you draw the second defender, everybody else becomes way better on offense, right? Yeah. And that's why superstars are more important, right? In in a guy like James Harden, we're talking about actively chasing him off and letting him drive to the basket and drawing a second defender. That's immediate advantage for Houston, right? Um, so that's that's the nature of, of superstars. But LeBron is the one guy who can do it from the perimeter and get all the way to the rack against this team in particular. You throw the ball to Anthony Davis, he'll, he'll win some of those battles sometimes when he's got the ball 25 feet beyond the basket, but PJ Tucker can stay in front of Anthony Davis. He's a lot smaller than him and he's going to win more of those battles. And so I suspect in order to solve Houston's defense, we've got to puncture it and get into the middle of it. Like we can't be having games where like we shot 38 threes, man. They shot 39. 
Yeah. Like, we can't get into a three-point shooting contest with the Houston Rockets. And but when they're doing when they're defending well, that's exactly what they force you to do because they prevent you from getting to the basket. And I I think more than tactically or anything else, this is a personnel thing where LeBron like spam the hell out of that. And I suspect that the series is going to go more toward LeBron trying to drop 35, 38 point type type games where he's being really aggressive as a scorer because that, in my opinion, is what collapses what Houston does. It's interesting, though, because in order to do that, the Lakers are likely going to have to play Anthony Davis at center. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to then replace a big man with a shooter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is what you were arguing for on our preview pod. Right. And JaVale, by the way, JaVale was a plus five in this game. He had the best plus minus. That's kind of a uh, an argument for what Krajis was talking about, right, is that you need the two bigs on the court. Right, so that's a different approach to it. I suspect, though, that, that spacing is going to be a, a bigger issue. I, I should, I should uh, hit Cranjus up. I would like to talk to him about this. But yeah, anyway, well, it's interesting. Well, it's interesting. So here's the question that I would pose to you, and I don't expect an answer right now, but it's something that I think we should all be thinking about in advance of of game two. And I can almost guarantee you, the Lakers coaches are going to be thinking about this. They're likely going to be seeing that. The Lakers are going to operate at their best defensively with two bigs on the floor and their best offensively when only one big is on the floor. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're going to need to try to formulate, to either formulate a way to adjust their defensive alignments so that they can almost always have a big man lurking as a help defender, right? Or they're going to need to try to find a way to generate effective offensive spacing with two bigs on the floor. And I honestly think that that's really really the crux of the issue against when you're playing against the Rockets. And that if you're going to have two bigs on the floor, you have to benefit. Like, what are the benefits of that and what are the detractions so the ben- the benefits, the spacing that we get with the two bigs is vertical rather than spaced out behind the, the three-point line. I there's there's value in that, but I think there's more value in that in when your pick and roll game can be can be uh accessed in a way that you can't or will you'll get less frequently against a team that switches consistently. Yeah. Now but there there's something to be said for that that vertical threat. Um on the defensive end though like again this is this is part of the reason why like drawing too many conclusions off of this game because if you're not executing what you're supposed to be doing like if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing I used to always say this when when I coached high school ball high school is almost a different sport in that you've got like all sorts of half court traps and full court traps and all of these strategic things that don't exist at the same level like Nick Nurse will play around with it and you'll see some of that in the NBA but I would always tell my players, like, in order to, like, trust, kind of, like, follow the game plan, I'd be like, all right, if he makes this shot, that's your fault. If he makes that shot from this spot, that's my fault, 
right? Because this is it's a matter of like, what are we going to give up? And so the lack of execution of game plan, that's part of what concerns me about the adjustments is we did not play, Crusoe had a quote in the post game, like we didn't play as hard as we, as we could have and that's on us. Like the lack of attention to detail and really going after it makes it difficult on the game tape to go like, what was this? What was the coach's fault on this versus what was the player's fault? Like what's, what's yeah? Like what was this supposed? Like what was this supposed to look like? Because right. we like, don't have like like we don't have an example of what all of these rotations should be. So there was one. There there were a couple of plays, right? Like there were little flickers of like, yeah, that's Lakers defense. I know there was one where we got a shot clock violation where LeBron like batted it around the elbow out of Harden's hand as the shot clock expired. It was Covington. He well, got Covington. ran off the three point line. He got ran no, off the three that was point it. line. That's exactly right. Because where where I want us to get is to having Covington House. Green have all them dudes attacking closeouts because they've gotten chased off of the three point line, having to make decisions, having to make shot pass drive decisions, right? It's when they're driving to the basket, and uh, that was an example of like, oh yeah, that's the Lakers' defense when they execute this well. But those were so few and far between. Where like there are some possessions in the NBA where like you, you know, funnel Harden the guy, you know. From the weak side wing rotates over the weak side corner, you know it gets skipped over to the wing or to the wing or corner depending on how your rotation goes. Then the guy at the top of the key covers, you know, the rotation he's supposed to make. You chase off the line, and then that guy hits like a pull up eighteen footer, and you're like, I mean, they scored, but that's what we want. That's what we want to give up. Yeah, and there's so few possessions like that in this game that like drawing the conclusions from it becomes hard. You know what I'm saying? And so. The, the adjustments that we make on that end of the floor, like, yeah, where, where would you go de- defensively? Because that becomes, playing it at the point of the two bigs versus yeah. not, right? The best argument for it, in my opinion, is on the defensive end. Um, That's right. And do do you go that route of of playing two bigs and that means changing your rotation like i'm, I'm sorry i'm all i'm a hot mess right now and i'm going all over the place what i wanted to get to dwight howard dwight howard was targeted in all of his minutes on the perimeter right and that was something that like he only played three minutes in the second half and houston went after him like it was game plan like we are going to target him make him defend the perimeter much more so than javel by the way and to the point where, again, he Dwight only played like three minutes. And then, so there goes some of our physicality. And then goes some of our, like, can we play two bigs if a Dwight ain't one of them type Yeah. Thing. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. Where do you stand in this? This is a philosophical thing, right? Where I, I don't think we got a lot of great tape to make determinations from. But uh, where do you stand on this? I mean, I think that if the Lakers are going to play two bigs, they're going to need, and I think they need to do this anyway, even within some of their one one big stuff, I think they need to start scramming players out of certain actions. Mm-hmm. Or, Can you explain that again? Yeah, like basically if the way that Houston spaces the floor, they're going to call out someone to come and screen for James Harden. And just like you said, they were picking on Dwight Right. And so they were calling Dwight's man up and that man was coming and setting a screen. And then Dwight was ending up on switches against James Harden. Um, They were doing a lot of stuff, too, where they were the man that 
and it wasn't even always on the ball. What they were doing was too is that if Dwight was guarding, say, PJ Tucker, they weren't always going to camp P- or if he was guarding Jeff Green, for example, they weren't always going to park Jeff Green in the weak side corner or in the strong side corner. Mm-hmm. They were going to park Jeff Green at at the opposite shoulder, right? So that now Dwight is in primary help position. And then that way, if Harden drives away from that, then Dwight's no longer in a position to help. So I think the Lakers need to do a couple of things. Or I don't want to say they need to do a couple of things. I think that they should consider some of these these Mm -hmm. things. Because just like you said, we don't know if some of this stuff works or not because they weren't attentive enough in what they were supposed to be doing in the first place. That said, when I talk about scramming someone out, if if they call up Dwight's man to come and set, set a screen, one of the other perimeter players who's at the top, top of the floor should basically go and take that action and then have Dwight replace and then stay stay back underneath the level of the ball, right? And... I think, too, that when they do some of these weak side exchanges, the Lakers need to keep their big men low regardless of who goes to the top, right? And so AD was guarding Westbrook a lot, and that put AD in a help position at the nail a fair amount of times. When that was the case, Harden would then work the possession when Harden was in the game so that he was driving and taking action away from Anthony Davis so that he was not in an ideal help position. That's, I mean, that's what Houston does, right? Is like they pull that guy away by design, right? Like they don't want your guy, that guy in the play. Which is why, and this goes back to the point that we started out the pod with, is that, which is why this game was frustrating on a lot of levels because the Lakers did not look like they were they were ready to make small little Houston-specific tweaks so that they were able to, quote, do what they do consistently against some of the things that Houston was trying, that you would have known Houston was going to try to target based off of how they play overall, right? What, one thing that we did that was that we don't normally do that was specific to them was we occasionally trapped Harden on the perimeter. Yeah. This was another example of like, there were a couple of them where we'd just leave off of one pass away and no one would rotate over to the wing shooter. And it's just like this easy one pass wide open shot type type thing. But there were a couple of possessions, especially to start the third quarter. And this is something that's, that's kind of a, an in-between point between the, you know, do we let Harden shoot step back threes against smaller guards that don't bother his shot or um, do we funnel him into the paint? The This is kind of an in-between point where we got a couple of turnovers. We forced a couple of steals early on. And that's something that it prevents. Because the, the problem with funneling Harden is his drive and kick game, right? And they're, they're effective at that, right? And so this is a strength versus strength type thing. But we just didn't do what we normally do on our closeouts in this one. But even still, they've get that's something that Houston likes to do too. Trapping him on the perimeter 
gets us into rotation, but it doesn't collapse the defense in quite the same way. It's more that four on three short roll type type thing. And we had several possessions where we didn't make all of the rotations the way that, that we should have. But a couple of times we'd like, I thought that that was our best approach. Maybe it was just coincidental and we didn't do it a ton and we surely screwed it up a few times. What did you think about, about the trapping that we did? I, I mean, the Lakers had shown that look against Houston earlier this season. And so it doesn't surprise me that Vogel sort of went back to it as sort of a default, like, hey, we've done this before. Let's try to do this, especially when at halftime, Harden has 25 points. So he's on pace for 50 and and he was basically getting anything he wanted, right? So I thought it made sense to try to disrupt Harden's rhythm, Um I did like the way that they were running Anthony Davis at him, even if AD was the guy who was on the opposite side of the court because AD's big and he's athletic. He disrupted passing ang- angles, and that's what forced a couple of those turnovers, just like you were talk- talking about. Um, so I do like that. I don't know if I like it as like an every play stra- strategy because Harden's too good and he's too smart, and they will adjust to that. I mean, but part of it, like, once you do that, it takes everything out of Harden's hands. Then you get that, the biggest guy that becomes a problem there is Westbrook, right? On the getting ahead of steam and making four on three reads, right? Yes. So you've got to find a way to limit that while trapping uh, Harden. But that's their best counter to the trap. I think that the Lakers' best draft strategy is actually to start to try to, I think they skewed too much towards making Harden a driver. And I think he found his rhythm as a scorer, as a driver, which then set up his ability and got him into a rhythm to shoot his jumper with a lot of confidence. I actually think that some of the first things you want Harden to try to do and live off of is, okay, like, you're going to shoot 20 times a game? How about 15 of those are step-back Mm three-pointers? Like, I'm not saying that Harden's not going to drive. He's going to force the action a fair amount because he's James Harden and he's going to try to get to the foul line. Like the Lakers best possessions against him was when they were challenging early with big men early. JaVale was late when he was challenging, but when they were challenging early, they were forcing Harden in to misses at the basket. But I think that there's this in-between way that you need to try to defend him where you're sort of encouraging the step back while still pressuring him enough that the drive is sort of there. But so when he forces the action, your ro- the key is is what is your rotation doing and who is the one that's rotating? If, it's, if Harden sees a guard back there, he's going to drive regardless because he knows he's going to tr- that he's going to be able to score over the top of you mm-hmm. when it's a guard that that's rotating. That's one of the benefits of having two two bigs in the game, and it's one of the reasons why I think that having two bigs is your best option if you're going to rotate early and be there on time. But look, man, like the Lakers didn't do any of that well. They didn't rotate well. Was, they didn't contain Harden well. They didn't play offense well. And 
that's how you lose by double digits. It's like they didn't play well enough this well, well this game. And like we're at well over an hour now of mm-hmm. recording a podcast where it's basically just like, yeah, we spent this long on on a loss talking about how the Lakers really didn't play that well. And the fact is, is the biggest adjustment that they can make is, hey, how about you lock in that's it, a man. little bit more. That attention. And, mm-hmm. and play play with more focus. And that was one of the things that we talked about on the preview pod is that if you thought you needed to be dialed in and locked in against what Portland was doing in order to contain Dame and CJ, that's only going to go up a level or two levels against this Rockets team with Harden orchestrating the offense. And it wasn't there to it like it wasn't there this game in game one and it needs to be there in game game two and in the same way that after game one against portland we're just like hey you know play better hit shots in this game after game one against the rockets it's hey play better lock in and understand what all the responsibilities are on every single possession over the course of a 48 minute game that doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes but I can live with mistakes if you're actually trying to do the right thing and you're getting there early and bad stuff can still happen that way. But it wasn't there this game, and no. I think that's what was most frustrating. Yeah, I, hopefully this uh, this game got the Lakers' attention. If it didn't, they're going to you know, have a similar result in game two. So should be very interesting. Both uh, I, I suspect that they will be a lot more focused. I'm very curious to see what adjustments we make because unlike the Portland series where uh, it was very much a stay the course type situation this is somewhere where Lakers are going to have to make some tweaks and uh, we will see what they do uh, on that front in game two but until then you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast we will catch you guys next time Baines has got it in low to McHale McHale wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by Worthy tip to Magic Worthy dies on his belly Magic scores there's Magic got it Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Gamble in and out, the ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left, here's Van Exel. This is for the win, he got it! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple and a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! Unbelievable. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?
The NBA and NHL are playing for gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports, and remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day and all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.